I wonder if you can complete this, uh, this statement. Actions speak louder than... Well, you're wicked smart today. <laughs> Actions speak louder than words. Actions... <laughs> and so, like, we all know that, right? Like, it's, we, we, we can repeat, we can finish the sentence anyway. Uh, you were probably told that growing up at some point. Uh, you've probably told your kids that uh, somewhere along the way. We know this is true. And we all probably fundamentally agree with this. And here's why we know this is true. Because you don't have to live very long before you realize that impact is made through actions, not just words. And don't get me wrong, because words matter. Like, I'm a big believer that words matter. Words have impact for the good and the bad. So words matter. But words alone only go so far. It's actions that punch home the impact of our words. So actions make an impact where good intentions only go so far. So like if we could have coffee and you could tell me about the people who have impacted your life the most, uh, you would tell me uh, about stories about people who didn't just talk about loving you. They didn't just say, I love you and leave it at that. You would tell me stories about the ways that they demonstrated their love for you. You would tell me how they put their talk into action, how they risked something for you or maybe even sacrificed uh, for your good. So here's something else we know to be true. And I'm guessing this is true for you. The times in your life when you feel like you've made the most meaningful contribution to someone else's life, where you feel like you've made an impact, if I were to ask you to just tell me that story, you're not going to tell me just about words that you spoke. You're not going to tell me about a story about how you reached out from a distance and stayed clear of the mess. You're not going to tell me, yeah, I remember this time when someone I used to know or someone I kind of know, they shared on Facebook that they were going through a tough time and I hit the hugs emoji. I felt really good about that, you know, and I gave them a praying hands in the comment and, and it really, really made a big difference. Thoughts and prayers to all of you, good vibes, your way, that kind of, you aren't going to tell me those stories. You're going to share stories about the times when you felt like you made the most significant contributions in someone else's life. You're going to talk about times when you acted on someone else's behalf, when you acted in someone else's best interest, when you moved from just talking about helping them and loving them to actually acting in a way that was helpful and beneficial for them. <clears throat> so a few weeks ago, I was talking with someone who was visiting with us on a, on a Sunday morning actually someone I know who lives in, here in our community, and they'd come at a friend's invitation. And I got a few minutes to visit with, with them after the service. And without any prompting, he said to me, I really enjoyed this morning. You've made it very easy to be here, just to be here. And I understood he wasn't talking about me. He was talking about all of you. And uh, that, that you make it easy for newcomers and regulars, and for guests and familiar faces to just be here. There's no need to put on pretense. We can just be as we are with one another. And I love that. And I love that someone coming in from the outside sensed that. That's what the church should be. That should characterize our experience together on Sundays. It should be true of, of, of us as individuals as we go from this place to be the church throughout the week in our everyday lives. So last week, we gave the entire morning to our Guatemala mission team and if, to debrief the church on our experience on our medical mission back in November. And if you missed that, which I don't think anybody did because the place was full, but if you missed it, uh, it's on our website. You can see the video and, and I encourage you to do that because honestly, that gives us a little context for what I'm going to talk about this morning. So as a couple people mentioned in our storytelling, 
Um, every evening on our mission trip in November, after supper, <clears throat> we push our chairs back from the table, form a big circle, and we talk about the day. We talk about the difficult things we encountered, the heartbreaking stories that we enter into as we try to care for people the best that we can. We talked about those moments where it's pretty clear to us that God has just like infused the moment with his Holy Spirit, and we just see God all over those interactions with people whose language we don't even speak. And one of the things that came out of our first evening together on that mission back in November, our mission partner, Gustavo, talked about this statement, that love is easy to see. And you heard some of our team members talking about that last week in our storytelling. Love is easy to see. And we talked about how that plays out in a mission experience like we were in. We kept coming back to that like every night in all of our conversations. And at the end of the week, and I just was so proud to be a part of this group, Gustavo affirmed our entire group just talking about how authentic the expression of love was within our group towards the people we were serving, towards our mission partners who were interpreting for us and feeding us and driving us everywhere, towards one another on the team, that as far as he was concerned with our group, love was easy to see. And I love that. This phrase just landed with us. And we decided, we're taking this back to the church. Because like, we know it's true. Like, we know it's true. You know it's true. I believe it's, and I believe it's true of you. It's true of us as a church. But listen, I believe it could be even more true of us as a church. Because if we're not careful, we could easily get to a point where love takes a back seat to other things, like opinions and viewpoints and preferences and all of that. So we want to be intentional and be sure that we keep the main thing the main thing, that we live all the moments of our everyday, ordinary lives mindful of this truth that love is easy to see. So think about this. Chances are someone you know, like maybe someone you're close to, someone in your family, someone in your workplace, they're, maybe they're one of those people who has quiet quitted church and Christianity. Do you know what I mean by quiet quitting? Like in the workplace, it's when you show up to work, but your heart's not in it, your head's barely in it, it's always somewhere else. You've already decided you're done with this as soon as you can figure out a way to go but your boss has no idea yet because you haven't figured out what's on the other side of you walking away, so you're just putting in your time. I may be talking to some of you, so I'm just staring at the podium right now. <laughs> like, you've already quite quitted your job. Um, and maybe you've quite quitted the church and Christianity. Like, you're here, you're going through the motions, but you're really not into it. Uh, you're not even sure you believe half the stuff we talk about. Um, in fact, in your head, you've already walked away, or maybe you're considering walking away from the whole thing in this chapter of your life right now, or maybe you, maybe you walked away somewhere in the past, and, and now you're back, and uh, you've been back for a while. And if you had to explain it, maybe the reason you walked away from the church and Christianity is because you crossed paths with some Christians who were all talk. They talked a good game. Man, they're they had all their beliefs all down and they could articulate it all real clearly and their opinions, they were quite outspoken about that, but their love wasn't very easy to see. There were some things that were easy to see. It was real easy to see the judgment, real easy to see apathy, real easy to see closed-mindedness, real easy to see stinginess. Like, like if that's you and you're skeptical and you're, you're trying to convince yourself not to quit the church and to quit your faith, I hope you just stay with me for a few minutes because I would say for the next few weeks and months and moving forward in our church, because my intention is that what we're going to talk about today will set the course for our church for the immediate and foreseeable future and long term. So if you're a follower of Jesus, 
like you're all in. You're, you're, you're learning to take up your cross daily, and you're learning to deny yourself as Jesus said, called us to, and you're trying to follow Jesus in your ordinary days. I hope you find this challenging and helpful and motivating as we move, kind of continue into this new year, into another year of learning to follow Jesus more fully. Here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, living a life where love is easy to see, that's kind of what you signed up for. And you're like, oh, no, not me. I mostly signed up for the escape hatch from an eternity without God because like, I want to be able to go to bed at night with some confidence that you know, if I don't wake up, <laughs> I got heaven to look forward to. Well, that's nice. And what I mean is that's nice for you. But the Christian faith and life in community in the church and the life that Jesus calls us to isn't all about you. He's called us to more. So we follow a Savior who over and over again came across needs, instead of just feeling something, <clears throat> instead of just talking a good game, instead of just sharing a meme on social media, instead of just sitting in agreement with sermons in church, Jesus acted on behalf of others, and, and he did things like he elevated the dignity of the marginalized in that first century culture. I'm talking about the poor and the infirmed and women and children and non-Jews and foreigners and even the Roman oppressors. Like the way he treated people on the margins wasn't typical of rabbis in the first century. He continually crossed racial and ethnic lines uh, and he broke through barriers of racism by investing the lives of people who weren't Jewish. And this was unheard of. And in a, in a cultural religious setting where the pervasive mindset was things like if someone got sick or someone had a disability of some kind, it was widely accepted that it was because God was punishing them or maybe God was punishing someone they love. Jesus flipped that upside down. And instead of running away from those people, thinking God's curse was on them, he spoke blessing into their lives and he stepped towards them and that was unheard of. And again and again, like Jesus' first follower, followers witnessed him, this rabbi who they came to believe was God in the flesh. They witnessed him transform good intentions towards others into acting in a way that loved others. Jesus' love was easy to see. One of those very first followers, his name was John. John was an eyewitness to Jesus' life and ministry. He was in Jesus' inner circle. He had that front row seat to hear his teachings, to see his interactions with people, to see him live and die and rise from the dead. And a few years later, John uh, wrote some letters to some people to try to articulate what it means to follow Jesus. And we have copies of some of those letters today. In one of those letters, John wrote, he paints a, a compelling vision for any of us who don't want to just talk a good game about loving others. We want our love to be easy to see. So this is what John said in 1 John uh, chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses there today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. John's like, we don't have to guess on this one. We saw it. We, we saw love lived out. There are two words that John uses in this sentence that, that the whole thing really stands on, and they are the words love and gave, because these words always go together. Love, gave. Central to the Christian understanding of the nature of God is that God is generous. God is generous. God is not stingy, and God is not withholding. God is abundantly generous, and he pours his love out on us with no strings attached. And what John is saying here is that we will never see a more clear, vivid depiction of true love than when you look at the cross. You'll never see a clearer picture of love than that. 
The cross that Jesus was willing to endure, not because he had to, not begrudgingly, not with contempt. He did it, he did it willingly. He was motivated by, by love, listen, for us, for us, for all the us's, right? No matter your past, no matter how far you've run, the poor us's, the wealthy us's, the sick us's, the healthy us's, the addicted us's, the criminal us's, abused us's, abuser us's, all the us's that you wish this wasn't for, it was for all of them. All the us's who don't believe exactly like you do. All the us's who don't vote like you do. All the us's who don't share your values. All the us's whose lives are a mess. All the us's who are perfect little angels and have all their stuff together. Everyone who breathes oxygen is a unique object of God's relentless love, love so deep that Jesus gave his life for us. And John's about to unpack that when we encounter this kind of love, when you come face to face with this indiscriminate love of Jesus, it'll affect the way that you see the world and it should affect the way that you live. Look at verse 16 again. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to, in other words, in light of, like in response to the love of God, because of the love of God, because we are recipients of this life, then we should live differently. So I kind, of, I kind of wish that John had finished this sentence with, in light of that, in light of God's love for us displayed in Jesus, we also ought to give up our lives for Jesus. Like, I wish he'd said that, because that makes more sense to me, okay? It's a reciprocal kind of thing. That would make sense. Jesus gave up so much, we ought to give up everything for Jesus. But that's not what John says. He says, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters, for other people for our neighbors, for the people in our church community, people in our family, for our coworkers, for all the us's out there. You know what John is saying here? He's saying that the most appropriate response to the love of God on display on the cross is to love others extravagantly. That's always the most appropriate response to the love of God, to simply love others extravagantly. Jesus said, you want to know like, how the world will know that you're my followers? By the way that you love one another. And it's a kind of love that is characterized by giving something up for the one you love. And you read John's words, you know, give up your lives for our brothers and sisters. And we're like, well, first of all, that's intense. Like, that's asking a lot. Uh, this phrase, to give up our lives, it means to set aside. In other words, if you want your love to be easy to see, it'll require at some point you setting something aside. you laying something down in order to lift someone up. This can be in big ways, in grand gestures. It can be in small, everyday ways. Like you want your love to be easy to see. It might require that you set aside your agenda, your schedule, your to-do list. Like when you get interrupted in order to spend time with someone, in order to, to work on someone else's problem. That's making love easy to see. It might be you got to set aside your desire to get back at someone. Like when you could say that thing and you know it will land and you got just the right response and it's a zinger that they won't soon forget. You know what you could say, but you lay it down. It might mean that you have to lay down winning an argument for the sake of the relationship. Then John gives us another example and he pushes a little bit further. He gets real practical and he talks about our resources, about our money is what he's talking about in verse 17. John says this, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? 
Like, I love how practical he is here. Like, how can you say you love God? Like, let's not overcomplicate it, okay? When you see someone in need, you have the ability to meet that need, show some compassion, show some generosity, meet the need. There's a word that jumps out at me, and it's the word seize. If someone has enough money to live well and seize, there's an assumption that John is making here, and it's that we're actually looking for needs around us that we can meet. But here's what I know, and I know this is true of me, and I'm sure it's probably true of you too. So often we get into maybe seasons of life when our vision gets redirected from looking out, and now we're just kind of looking at our own lives. We, be, we become the center of everything, right? And we stop seeing what's happening in the lives of people around us. And anytime we place ourselves in the center, man, our world will get real small real quickly. And our ability to see needs and respond to needs just evaporates. So I wonder if for some of us, <clears throat> if we stopped seeing needs around us. And if so, why? Because our world's gotten really small because we put ourselves at the center. And our compassion, listen, our compassion, our capacity for compassion, our capacity for compassion and empathy is directly proportional to our willingness to open our eyes to the needs around us. I'm going to read that again because I stumbled on it. Our capacity for compassion and empathy is directly proportional to our willingness to open our eyes to the needs around us. In other words, the smaller our world gets, the less compassionate we will be. Like when you are at the center of your small world, you become convinced that everything you've been given is just for you. Like, how tragic would it be to live such a small life that we think everything we have is for us? And if we aren't meeting needs around us because we aren't even seeing the needs around us, something has to change. John ends this thought with this, verse 18. He says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Now, if you're not a Christian... Uh, I think these verses alone ought to compel you to explore at least whether or not the claims of Jesus are actually true. Because if this happened, like if we showed our love, if we loved by our actions, like everyone wins, right? It, It would be irresistible. And it's exactly what John's readers did, by the way. It's what characterized the first century church, and it's what set them apart in a hostile and oppressive culture. What set those first followers of Jesus apart, listen, was not what they said they believed. What set those first followers of Jesus apart was how they, like, they, those deeply held convictions, how that moved them to show the truth of their love by their actions. What set those first followers of Jesus apart was their willingness to do what it took to make sure their love was easy to see. The same is true today. And we want this place, this church, this community of ordinary people who are committed to following Jesus, we want this to be a place where love isn't something we just talk about, but that we show our love by our actions. Like, I can't imagine a greater compliment that would be paid to our church than your love is easy to see. In order for this to be true of us as a church, as a congregation, it needs to be true of us as individuals. So let's talk about this on a personal level, because this is about you and this is about me. Like, I can't think of anything that could be said of you that would be greater than your love is easy to see. Like, Like, I wonder if our kids would say that about us or our spouse, like when we're not around. 
or our employees or our employer or our coworkers. I mean, this is just a better way to live. It's this vision for our individual lives, for our life together as a church that is driving us right now in this season of life at Faith Community Fellowship to continually explore ways to be more effective in expressing our love inside the church and outside in the community. So let's talk practically. Let's talk about taking our desire to love others and putting it into action. Let's talk about what that looks like. Um, I, I believe we can make our love easy to see when we live with compassion. We make our love easy to see when we live with compassion. Like, I don't know what comes to mind when you see or hear the word compassion, but when we hear compassion talked about or see it lived out in the Bible, particularly if we're talking about Jesus, compassion is gritty. Compassion is messy. Compassion is get your hands dirty, get a little sweaty, get uncomfortable, be inconvenienced, put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. And we know compassion was incredibly important to Jesus, uh, and he makes this incredible challenging statement in Luke chapter 6, which is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Jesus says, is you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And I think it's interesting that Jesus says, be compassionate, not feel compassionate. Be compassionate. Be implies action, right? It, it implies a demonstration, the way that you act and live. But most of the time, we think of compassion as something that we feel. But Jesus is saying that compassion is actually something that we do. Have you noticed that when Jesus speaks, he is always articulating a vision for how life is intended to be lived? Anytime Jesus speaks, anytime you read about what Jesus said in the gospel accounts, he's laying out a vision for how life was intended to work, for how life works in the kingdom of God like we said at Christmas time a few weeks ago, that Jesus himself said that he came so that we could experience life to the full. And all of his teaching is painting a picture of what life to the full looks like and how to live a life that flourishes. And when Jesus presents these hard truths, these upside down ideas that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, like for instance, like these aren't rules to follow that he's given. These aren't just arbitrary concepts. This is his vision for life to the full. This is what life in his kingdom looks like. So the statement in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus says, be compassionate, it's not a rule to live by. It's so much better than that. He's saying, you were made for this. Like, you were made to live with compassion. So think about, think about this for a second. Like, do you think you even really realize how much potential for compassion that you have in you? Like, I don't think we do. I don't think we fully understand this. But we were made in the image of God. We were created in God's image to reflect the character of God in this world, to be a reflection of His light. And we can resist living compassionately. We can resist living generously. We can resist living with humility, and we can resist serving people. You can choose to live exclusively for yourself, and you can do that. But I'm telling you, if you do that, you will always be frustrated. You will always have this sense of emptiness and purposelessness. I've known more than a few people who are so frustrated with the way their lives have turned out. Like they're frustrated and they're disillusioned. And I'll tell you why. Because they've built their entire lives around themselves, building their own kingdoms. And they're living so much smaller than they were designed and created for. Because you were created for something so much greater than just getting through the week. You were created for something so much bigger than just making it to your day off or making it to your vacation or make as much money as you can or get this promotion or that position or put as much into your retirement as you can. There's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. All I'm saying is we can't rely on any of those things to get us up in the morning for the long haul. Like you were made for something greater. You were made for more than just merely existing, merely surviving the week, surviving the season, whatever. You were made for more. 
Like you were made to take faith-filled risks as God calls you out into the adventure of faith, as Jesus calls you out of your comfort, even the comfort of maybe of your little boat in the middle of the storm, right? Like he did with Peter. And he calls you to leave your comfort zone behind, to climb over the side of your boat and to walk in this storm on the water towards him as he calls you. I don't know how this statement landed that day when Jesus' first followers heard him, heard him say this, but... Imagine their response might have been a little bit like, like our response, like, Jesus, that sounds nice, but I think that's a little unattainable. Uh, it's unrealistic. Besides, like, what is compassion? What does that even look like? What are you talking about? Well, it wasn't long after Jesus said this that he shows them. And this is what I love about Jesus, his teachings and his actions, how he, he always used his actions to demonstrate and model his teaching. He's like, you want to know what compassion looks like? I'll show you. So he has this encounter that puts the compassion of God the Father on display and gives us a roadmap of how to make our love easy to see. So check this out. Not long after he made this statement, the very next chapter in Luke chapter 7, verse 12 says this. It says, A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Now let's just pause for a second and get the context. So this widow has lost her only son. She's already lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. And with her husband and her son gone, she's staring at a future of abject poverty in this first century culture. So Jesus sees this, and look at how he responds, verse 13. It says, When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Has this ever happened to you? Do you ever see something? We're back to that. Do you ever see something or become aware of something? And you just knew in your gut that that's not how life should be. And you were moved so strongly that you wanted to do something about it. You ever had that prompting? I'm curious. Anybody ever experienced this? Just want to know who I'm talking to. I'm just going to keep asking the question until everybody puts their hand up. Because like, if you haven't, we've got to back up and have a different sermon. So we've all experienced this. We just don't all like to put our hands up in church. I get it. But th- you know what? This isn't even the point of the story. That Jesus was moved with compassion. It's what Jesus did with that compassion. And he models for us how to respond when we're moved with compassion, how to show up for others and how to make our love easy to see. So verse 13, he says, don't cry. Now, I don't recommend you start with that, okay? So <laughs> I, I heard a quote in a show I was watching the other night and it said, I don't know what's upset you, but my advice would be stop crying. So I don't know, um, so let's tuck that one away for a future when you need comfort from me, just remember. So Jesus said, don't cry, so stop your crying. He says, don't cry, verse 14. He walked over to the coffin and touched it. That's something you didn't do in this culture. I mean, I've been to lots of funerals where people would freak out about that kind of stuff here in the, in the present. But in this culture, you didn't do that. Jews didn't do this. This would make you ceremonially unclean. You'd have to go through this whole process before you could participate in community life and worship again. It says he touched it, and the bearers stopped. I think they were, they were like, everybody see what he just did? He, he touched that. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. Like, what do you suppose he said? Like the first words out of his mouth. I mean, I'd like to know. First of all, I think he's, like, I don't know how long he's been dead, but like, if we believe that you're absent from the body present with the Lord, I think he's probably like, thanks a lot for that. <laughs> just getting know my way around heaven, and now I'm back here. Thanks a lot. Says, and then Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus told his followers and all of those of us who would come after 
But we are made to be compassionate, as God, our loving Heavenly Father, is compassionate. And now he's showing us what that looks like. There are a couple implications here for those of us who don't want to settle for just talking about a good game about loving others. Like we actually want our love to be easy to see. So the first thing is compassion requires reaction. Compassion requires reaction. We see this over and over again with Jesus where he's moved with compassion and then he, he, he converts that feeling into an action and acts on someone else's behalf. So as verse 14 says, he walked, he touched, he spoke, he gave. Those are all actions. Compassion doesn't stop short of reaction. If it does, it isn't compassion, it's just pity. And that's fine, but it doesn't change anything. Compassion drove Jesus to risk, to sacrifice, to move, to act for the good of another, all the way to the cross. This is the kind of compassion the world needs from us. It's the kind of compassion that people in our lives need from us. We need it from each other. And, and no, don't expect to be able to stop a funeral procession and raise someone from the dead, okay? Let's not be too literal about the application here. I'm talking about seeing a need, letting yourself feel something deep inside you, and to walk towards the need, to do what we are able to do and to let God do what only God can do. Your family needs that kind of compassion from you. Your wife needs that kind of compassion from you. Your husband, your kids, your employees, your coworkers, the people in your circle of friends, they need to see you moving towards them in need to serve and love them. The widow that day didn't just need pity. She needed compassion. She needed someone to move towards her and to meet the needs that they could meet. Second implication from this story, from the kind of compassion that Jesus models for us is this, that if we want our love to be easy to see, we're going to have to be open to interruptions. Ooh, this is a hard one for me. Remember in the story, uh, this, this wasn't Jesus' destination. He was on his way somewhere else. Like he had somewhere he was trying to go. He had an agenda. He probably had a speaking engagement he needed to get to. I don't know. But his agenda got interrupted by someone's need. And like I can identify with this because people's needs are always so inconvenient, right? Those opportunities just never come at a good time. But if we want our love to be easy to see, we have to be open to interruptions. Does anybody else have a hard time with that? Or is it just me? Just three of us. Okay. Well, the rest of you can listen in. When Jesus, you're like, you're interrupting me right now. Well, it's my time, so whatever. When, <laughs> I don't know. When, when Jesus and his entourage uh, met that funeral procession, he stopped. He stopped. So, like, I wonder, have we stopped lately? Like, when was the last time we stopped? Have you stopped long enough to see the need that's presenting itself right in front of you? Or are you just focused on your agenda? You got your to-do list, got to get that done, get through the day, you know, get to the weekend, not even seeing the needs of the people around you? Like, here's a question. Do you even know what your coworkers are going through right now? Do you ever stop long enough to ask? Do you stop long enough, listen, to listen to their response? Or are you even approachable? Sometimes the reason we don't stop is we're suffering from compassion fatigue. And here's what I mean by compassion fatigue. It's when you're so bombarded with the needs around you that you finally just grow tired of it all. And if you're paying attention at all, we're bombarded. Like if your eyes are open to the world around you and the people in your life, we're bombarded by legitimate needs. There's always something going on in the lives of the people around us, and it's stuff that 
usually moves us with compassion, and it's worthy of our attention. And a lot of it is stuff we can help with, right? Like we might be the solution to the problem, and that's tiring, especially when your span of care gets stretched too wide and it's overwhelming. What strikes me about this passage here in Luke 7 is that Jesus stops and he simply addressed the need that was right in front of him at the moment. We talked about this a little bit last week in our Guatemala mission debrief. He addressed the need that was presenting itself in the moment, right in front of him. Not every need, just the one that was right in front of him in the moment. Jesus didn't raise every son of every widow that day, just the one that was in front of him in the moment. The immediate need in front of him that he had the capacity to meet. I find that freeing and empowering because I don't have to meet every need, and neither do you. But here's how you know when to act. When someone's need and your capacity to meet that need intersect, that's the moment for action. That's the moment when your compassion requires a reaction. We, like, we all get presented with needs that we can't do anything about, right? Like we have compassion, we feel something, uh, we wish we could do something about it, but we simply can't. We don't have the capacity, we don't have the skill set, we don't have the margin financially, we don't have the margin emotionally, we just don't have margin, and uh, we don't have the stamina, and that's okay. There will be times when you feel moved, and you feel it in your gut, and you have the capacity, and you have the margin, and they line up. When that happens, act on that. That doesn't require that you meet every need that then you like, are made aware of, but the one that's right in front of you in the moment that you have the capacity and the margin to meet. Because here's the thing, like, whatever we do, I think sometimes we let the truth that we can't do everything keep us from doing something. Let's not live life that way. Like, I don't know about you, but uh, something I tend to do occasionally, and maybe you can relate to this, like it's easy for me to see a need in front of me and push the responsibility back onto God to do something about that need, which is really just a spiritualized form of apathy and laziness, and like really not wanting to do anything uh, about it. So I just put it back on God to do something so that I don't have to. Um, and I've probably missed tons of opportunities to be part of God pouring out his love in this world through me. King Solomon in the Old Testament wrote this in Ecclesiastes 4. He said, uh, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. <laughs> it makes me wonder, why couldn't Solomon find anyone to comfort those people around him who were hurting? Like, what was he doing about it, first of all? Like, wasn't there someone he could have called on to take care of this? And maybe it struck me that maybe the reason, maybe the reason he couldn't find anyone to meet those needs is maybe everyone was busy praying that God would meet the needs. And don't get me wrong, praying is powerful. Praying unlocks the doors of heaven. We know this. What I'm, what I'm saying is that what, what would make our love easy to see is our willingness to give our prayers and our presence. Like it could be that our presence is actually the answer to our own prayers. To act on someone else's behalf, to allow for interruptions, to stop long enough to see where there might be need, and then to move towards it. Because at the end of the day, what the world needs most is not a bunch of people who feel compassionate, a bunch of church people who feel compassionate. That's not doing any good for anybody. The world needs followers of Jesus who are willing to take our Savior's words seriously and to be compassionate because love like that is easy to see. 
I hope that individually we are living and will live, maybe even more so, in, in, in a way that our love is easy to see. And I hope, and it's our vision for this church, that we would keep exploring new ways to make our love easy to see, to infuse this value into everything we do on this property and in our community, on Sundays and throughout the week, that we, what would be true of this church is that our love is easy to see. And I think we have a collective responsibility to ask and to keep asking, like, how do we as a church, how can we make our love easy to see? As we wrap this up, I just want you to hear this, like, lean in on this. I don't know what's going to move you with compassion like this year. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to happen at some point if you're paying attention and you're open to it. At some point, you're going to feel compassion well up deep within you. It's probably going to be something that you think is small and insignificant, and it'll be easy to talk yourself out of. But when you feel that well up, don't talk yourself out of reacting be compassionate. Let's be that church. Let's be those people. Be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. And watch how you come to life as a result. Love is easy to see. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of your compassion that's continually pouring out on us. Like we we acknowledge you are the ultimate display. Uh, you gave the ultimate demonstration, making your love easy to see. When your heart broke for this world, for hopeless people like us, you didn't settle for pity. You didn't settle for feeling something. You made your love easy to see by sending your son, by walking towards us with all this mess, with all of our need, and sending your son while we're still sinners. And Jesus, in your compassion, willingly laying down your life on our behalf, Now, because of that, we want to live as you've called us to live. We want to be compassionate as our Heavenly Father is compassionate. We want to do for others what you've done for us. So in the days ahead, when we feel compassion well up in us, I pray that we wouldn't just feel it and be done, but that we would open our eyes to the needs around us, that we'd walk towards need, that we would exercise discernment to know when the need in front of us is something that we can help meet. When it is, I pray that we would act on it to meet the needs that we can meet and trust you to do what only you can do. Help us to see interruptions as opportunities to follow in your footsteps, to make our love easy to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to this song. I hope they see it Cause I wanna see I hope we believe it I want to see, I want to see the love All around you, all around you I want to know, I want to know that love is all It's all around Ooh. 
See you. 